Blame and shame are deadly for intimacy. So if I'm ashamed of my low libido, if I'm ashamed of my erection, there is no way in hell I'm going to be able to talk to you about it. And if and if I'm blaming you for your low libido, if I'm blaming you for your erection challenges, there's we're not going to get anywhere. So that's the framework that I want to offer couples for how to have these conversations. I'm writing notes. Do you see my pen? I got notes right here. Yeah, I'm looking to make it a little lighter. <laughs> Are we mutually aligned oh right now? Oh my goodness. Uh, there's, there's always, always two, two versions. <laughs> I mean, you're moving a little slow, but... Working I, I, really a, hard. <laughs> we will definitely talk about that later. <laughs> Love for work. Welcome to the Lover Work Podcast. This is your host, Andre Schinnebarger. What in the world is happening right now? We're changing it up. It's I, a new season. I always do the intro. <laughs> I welcome people. I'm a welcomer. I know. I just took over. Hospitality? I'm taking over. Taking over this season, y'all. This is your host, Jeff Schinnebarger. So glad to be back with you today. (laughs) You just can't do it, can you? (laughs) Well, we have a very, very fun podcast and season season ahead of us. It's not just one episode. No. We're talking about big issues. Big issues. Oh, and you got issues. Let's be honest. What? Ah! (laughs) <laughs> Look at you pointing fingers we at all my got issues. issues. We all got issues. Today, we're start we're going listen, we're starting at the top. Or bottom. Depending on how <laughs> depending on your preference. I'm just saying, depending on your preference. All we're right. talking about sex. We're talking about sex, baby. We are going there. We yeah. are going all in. I think when we think about big issues, sex is definitely a big issue. It's an issue. I mean, <laughs> What's what's that laughter? <laughs> what is going through your head right now? I was just laughing. At what how do you, you think it? I'm about to say? I don't know. That's fine. What do you want me to say? Just go ahead, honey. Oh, go I'm... ahead. Host. Go ahead. We're talking about sex today. We have an incredible thinker and educator joining us. Yes. So today we have Dr. Alexandra Solomon. She is a couples therapist who really specializes in sex and intimacy. And uh, she's a professor and psychologist at Northwestern University. She has written two books, one called Loving Bravely and the other called Taking Sexy Back. Oh, she's bringing sexy back. Yes. (laughs) And she has launched an e-course that really takes a lot of what she has taught over the years and years at Northwestern and um, put it into a course for anybody to have access to. It's called Intimate Relationships 101, which you can find on her website. And uh, oh my goodness, we're going to link to it in our show notes. So look it up. But before we get to the interview, uh, we have, I mean, the timing of the year, I know you're interested in investing in your relationship. And we want to give you an opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. On February 9th, we are hosting a virtual date night. Yes. It's going to be so much fun. It's really going to be Starts fun. Starts at 8.30 Eastern time mm-hmm. and streaming right to your home. You know, we have a bunch of fun things planned. We have guests that are going to join us. It's a night where you and your partner can sit on the couch and at times maybe stand, maybe dance, maybe dance. Yeah, we're going to have a DJ. It's Matt a date is going to be with Matt's going to be DJing. We got friends coming in to surprise. Yeah. It'll be a really, really fun, enjoyable night. Yeah, date night. And, right in your living room. And we want you to join us. Yeah. So here's the deal. You can go online, go on our Instagram account, and you'll find a post about it. And you can invite your partner partner to join. Like invite them through Instagram right then. Or you can like send the text. One of the fun uh, invitations. There's there's like an like an official one. And then there's... A the sexy call. one. The we, sexy a one. A booty call. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's going to be great. So join us. Go to loverwork.com and you'll see the link for the date night. And join us. It's just, it's not that much money. We just want you to be a part of it. So make it happen. Yes. And so today, again, we have Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Yeah. And so, so there's three things I want you to listen for. Oh, yeah. Are you ready? I was just ready to take over again. I feel. Because it's my show now. <laughs> I don't know if I knew that. I'm feeling the power struggle right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, which by the way, the date night is all about partnerships. Mm-hmm. How? Which is a. I mean, it sounds I like mean, we need it working. today. <laughs> it's working so well. I'm not today. saying we're. We're all over the place on this first intro. I messed you all up, and now we're all wobbly and wonky. In this sexy episode, we're going to talk, number one, we're going to talk about monogamy. Okay. Number two, we're going to talk about her marriage 101 class, which would you have signed up for it? I would struggle with just the marriage part of that, because when I was in college, I wasn't planning on getting married. And number three, do visa bills lead to sexy time? I doubt it. It definitely doesn't for me. So here we go. We got Dr. Alexandra Solomon. So Dr. Solomon, as a couples therapist, is sex one of the biggest issues that you see that people have troubles with when they come and talk to you? Is that one of your biggest trouble spots that you see? It's a really interesting place for us to start because I think what is the case for me is that couples will say they're coming in for communication problems mm-hmm. or they feel disconnected mm-hmm. um, or they feel like they aren't seeing eye to eye. And so that will be the cover story. And I, it's not a cover, it's not a cover story in that it's, you know, a lie or dishonest, but in turn, but, but what's sort of being presented as a communication problem, like there's a problem in how we talk to each other. It has deeper roots that very often extend to, um, emotional intimacy. And once we're talking about emotional intimacy, we're also talking about sexual intimacy, right? So Mm -hmm. when I'm training clinicians, for example, I want clinicians to always, always, always ask about sex as they're getting to know a couple, because very often couples won't come forward and say, we're sexually disconnected. We're really struggling. We can't talk about it. They won't open with that because it feels awfully tender. And maybe they're worried about the couple's therapist feeling ruffled by that, or it feels so shameful and and silent in their relationship that they can't even bring it into the therapy room. So I train therapists to have that just be part of the assessment. And, um, and if couples say that they're doing fine there, and actually their problems are elsewhere in the relationship, fine. But I want to really normalize and validate that sex is a topic of discussion in couples therapy. That is that is fair game and something that couples really deserve space to explore together. Yeah, that's good. And what do you think in terms of, I mean, you kind of hit on it that people are pretty silent about it and it seems to harbor shame and things. Um, it's also very interesting that many relationships, just couple relationships, you and your friends, it's very rare that you hear a lot of people talking even about sex with other people or, you know, what do you think about that? Do you think that would be something that would be more beneficial, normalizing even just in normal conversation, not just with a therapist? Boy, that question sparks a lot of thoughts inside of my brain. One of the first places I go with that, um, with your observation is it makes me think about heterosexual gender scripts. So when I'm talking about sex, research has shown that sex and gender are incredibly entwined, you know, for all of us, whether we're, whether we're gay, straight, live beyond a gender binary. Um, the, the sort of like predominant sexual narrative is a heterosexual one. So mm-hmm. somebody's queer identity is oftentimes developed in relation to heterosexuality, right? Mm-hmm. So this heterosexual script is so locked into our brains and the heterosexual script has elements like, you know, men always want it, that, you know, men are just, they're always ready. And this is sex is all that matters to them. And, you know, and then the, the sexual script around women is that, you know, women need to be good girls and, or at most lady in the street, freak in the back, you know, whatever. There's sort of these like yeah. very sort of like split narratives around yes. who, who women get to be and who women don't get to be. So then I'm thinking about, you know, a group of women sitting around over wine or a group of men sitting around over Beer. <laughs> Can I be any more gender? Yeah. I was going to say you just you just prefer it. Yeah, I just reinforce the script, you know. And so, so maybe then the conversation stays at the level of like, oh, you know, these husbands always wanting it, or you know, these wives, you're lucky if you can get it. When you know, like that, that that sort of stays the the, the conversation stays at the surface level. It may well be true. There may be, for example, a desire discrepancy where a female partner is struggling with desire more than a male partner struggling with desire. But the ways we talk about sex oftentimes among friends 
sort of reinforce that gendered narrative and keep us at the surface level of like, that's just how it is. That's just those Mm -hmm. husbands. That's just those wives. That's just how it goes. Rather than kind of peeling back and getting a bit more vulnerable about what is it like to navigate years and years and years of sexual monogamy with somebody, right? And how do you make space for all of the competing truths about sex, about our desire, which ebbs and flows, our bodies, which are always changing, you know, all of that is so much more complicated than I think we oftentimes make space with our, even our friends to like unpack and try to figure out together. Yeah. So That's is that, I mean, so I'm trying to unpack what you just said. I mean, there's, you're kind of setting up this, this genre of thinking, uh, of historical thinking or commonality thinking, but kind of going back to Andre's discussion. I mean, I feel like we, we just know so many people that are not willing to talk about it at all. So like the scenario you said of the all guys or all women, or that's like, I don't know, very locker room talk or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's vague. It's not really purposeful. But there aren't people having the real conversations with maybe just a couple people in their lives. Is that fair to say? I think it is. And I think I think what what I have found to be true. so my my work, you know, I've been working as a couples therapist for many, many years. But in the last, say, five years, I have become much more forward in my work talking about sex. Mm-hmm. And what I have found, is that just one person being courageous enough to open the conversation can be enough, right? Like Mm -hmm. our own willingness to be vulnerable becomes a bit contagious. Mm -hmm. I remember being hired by my local library to do a a Valentine's event for couples. And the library told me under no uncertain terms that I could talk about my first book, which is called Loving Bravely, but I could not talk about my second book, which is called Taking Sexy Back and is all about sex. So That was like, you know, in the contract. Okay, fine. So I give a lovely talk about communication and emotions. And the first hand that goes up is a woman who's like, okay, so menopause, what the hell? Like, how do you keep Mm -hmm. sexual desire? But the first question was about sex, right? So it's like when, and, and then the questions followed from there. And it was a beautiful and important and real and rich conversation that one person needed to have the courage to be like, can we just for a minute talk about this? That's what shame hates, right? Shame can't, shame can't persist when we start to like give voice to the truth of our experience. When we, you know, reach for others in a curious way that helps us. It's so healing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's very interesting because we've definitely experienced that a lot. We, we wrote a book together called Lover Work and we have one sex chapter in the book. And when we were promoting the book and going out and speaking about the book and all of this, pretty much like every interview was like, we're going to talk about the book, but not chapter eight, which was the sex chapter. And, but then we'd get off the air or, you know, off cameras or whatever and as soon as we'd get off, they'd be like, so can we talk about chapter eight? Because I've got some, you know, and you're like, wait, why aren't we talking about this on air for other people? Because obviously you still want to talk about it. You just want to be private and, you know, keep it quiet and on the download. And so I definitely just resonate with that experience a lot. Yeah. So with a lot of... um close friends recently, I've been having this conversation and this is specifically guys. uh, I've had three of these conversations in the last few months, let's just say. And in their relationship, these people are in uh, committed relationships. They've been in it for multiple years. And the conversation of sex has become so filled with hurt and anger and frustration and all these things and they've, this wasn't one conversation, this is multiple conversations where they kind of said, yeah, so me and my partner, we just, we've just decided not to talk about it anymore. And that's how they can keep moving in relationship, like without, so it's like, like, like keeping the peace. Yeah. Or it's just created so much hurt and so Um, many things. What do you think about that? And is that, are you hearing that more and more? Like how, I, I feel like there's probably a bunch of listeners that are probably in that right now and they don't know even how to begin the conversation again. Right. 
Uh, you know, as you, as you share those examples, first of all, I think, I think what you're even just in like the premise of your question, what you're offering your listeners is some role modeling around like, listen, men, men actually can have these conversations with each other. And I, what I hear is these conversations are very painful, right? These men are opening up to you about like, it's so painful to be, to feel like there are things that are unspeakable within a marriage. That's, Mm -hmm. that's a really painful place to be. And I understand that, that these couples are trying to solve you know, they're trying to solve a problem by taking the conversation off the table. And I, I certainly understand that we have all kinds of ways that we try to soothe pain or avoid pain, you know, so I get it. I think that's, that is a, a beautiful and worthwhile question to bring to a couples therapist or a sex therapist. You know, the sex therapists that I know are so savvy at talking about love and sex together. You know, I think sex therapy began as a very sort of mechanical field. It was about dealing with erections and creating orgasms. And the sex therapists that I know that I refer to that I trust and love, they know how to hold really nuanced understandings of how sex and intimacy and vulnerability all go together. So it's not, I think we have a misconception of who goes to sex therapists or who should go to sex therapists, but anybody who has a problem like the one you're talking about would do well to work with either a couple's therapist who can talk about sex or a sex therapist who can talk about love, right? So there's there's those two paths there. Because what happens is if we've tried to have a conversation and we've gotten, you know, three minutes in and we're both flooded and we're both sad and we both feel misunderstood and we feel too misunderstood to try to understand and we feel too unheard to try to listen, if that's where we are, we've got to break up the dynamic because mm-hmm. we're creating a pattern and Cycle. the more we have the conversation like that, the more we're going to have the conversation like that, right? Yeah. So we have to shake up the system and bringing in a couple of therapists is a very effective way to shake up a system because you can't have that same conversation in that same way when you have a third person in the conversation, right? Yeah. It just can't go the same way it always has gone. Yeah, that's really good. Well, you told us that you are teaching a marriage 101 class to undergraduates. And just saying that already to my brain is like, really? Like, is the next generation still interested in marriage and monogamy? Really, monogamy is my question as well. But marriage and monogamy in that sense, because right now it feels like culture and the next generation is really kind of exploring and more about polyamory and more and and really, you know, waiting years and years later to get married because they're unsure about if marriage is really the right way. I mean, what do you see in your marriage 101 class with your students? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I literally do I was have- like, she might have five people. I don't know. <laughs> I might, I might have what? You might have like five people in your class. I don't know. Maybe you have hundreds. <laughs> Who knows? Are they really interested? Oh my gosh. So, okay. The really brief backstory is this is a class we, this, this spring when we teach it, it will be the 21st year of this class. So I was a teaching assistant, you know, in this class first, the first year we taught it and um, took over leadership like maybe a decade ago. And it started off, you know, it was popular for sure in the beginning. And it is now like a thing. Like it is. So in just a few days, I'm, you know, registration will open and I will get literally hundreds of emails from students who can't get on the class and can't get on the wait list, which is part of why I've done things like write the books I've written, create the e-course I created, like, because I'm so, it, it breaks my heart every year that I keep that, that there's far more interest than um, what we can provide. So I've just been like, devoted to exporting and scaling up and making this more and more and more available. But yeah, I mean, the coolest thing, Andre, is that um, now having done it for 20 years, I can look at the trends, right? Like I now have like a longitudinal sample. I will tell you what, in 2000, the year 2000, none of my students were coming to me and talking about exploring polyamory and open relationships and consensual non-monogamy, none of them. And in fact, a good number of them were already engaged to be married, right? Because in 2000, the age of entry into marriage was significantly younger than it is now. So it has jumped from early 20s to late 20s in just the course of 20 years, which when you look at 
human history, that's a significant jump in a very, very, very short period of time. Yeah. So there's still, so now it's almost like marriage 101. Like we, you know, we keep it, I still call it marriage 101, even though we are talking about relational and sexual self-awareness because, because I know my students have a wide range of places they are developmentally, right? Some have never held somebody's hand and some are engaged to be married. I still, you know, sometimes have a student or two who's engaged. And some are profoundly interested in a monogamous, you know, quote unquote, traditional marriage. And others are like, screw that. I have a really big, expansive definition in my mind of what my intimate relationship journey is going to be. So I've had to create a curriculum that can serve the needs of all those students, right? Where every single student in my classroom feels as welcome in that space as the person sitting next to them does. Yeah, I do keep the class called Marriage 101 because it's sort of like a little kind of like kitschy and fun for students to, you know, to sort of... It's just, yeah, right. It's kind of old school. It's kind of like throwback. Like, yeah, I'm learning about, you know, and we, yeah. we do talk some about marriage, but really we're talking about how do you create relationships that are built in truth, in consciousness, in curiosity, in deep respect, however that looks. Because that's what I want my students to leave with is like a, an internal foundation of sovereignty, awareness, you know, and sense of boundaries, all of that is, yeah. but, but yes, the course is still called marriage 101 for all kinds of, you know, reasons, not, not the least of which is that they have fun saying that they're taking a class about marriage. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you think though, that marriage and monogamy is, I mean, going to be out the window? I don't, I really don't. I think that there are all kinds of really beautiful things about us asking questions about what is the function of this institution? Mm -hmm. What is the function of monogamy? um, What are the consequences of monogamy, right? So even somebody who feels really comfortable that they want sexual monogamy, I want them to be talking with their partner about monogamy. Like Mm -hmm. I want them asking questions like, how do you define monogamy? We make all kinds of assumptions that my definition and your definition are exactly the same. Mm -hmm. But my definition may include you know, texting with my ex and your definition may include following an OnlyFans account and, you know, we're communicating with, you know, erotic performers. Like we, what are the chances that we both have the same exact definition? So even, so what I love about opening up conversations about consensual non-monogamy is that then those who are practicing monogamy are invited slash forced to really talk about what is monogamy and why why would we do it? And what are the consequences of doing it? Right. So a side effect of sexual monogamy is the risk of sexual boredom. So every sexually monogamous couple ought to be wrestling with what are we going to do when we get bored? How are we going to keep this interesting and engaging? Couples who practice consensual non-monogamy need to also define those boundaries because you can be, there can be, even in a consensually non-monogamous relationship, there can be non-consensual non-monogamy, right? There can be cheating even for couples who have a more expansive sexual boundary. Because if we agreed that, you know, the only thing we're allowed to do extramaritally is a one-time fling, and you now have seen this person five times, you just have violated a boundary that we agreed to. Mm. So there's still, it's not like our choices are either, you know, there, there are still like degrees and needs to be intentional and clear about if we are expanding our boundaries, why and in what ways and what are the ground rules? Yeah. It's really interesting to think about pushing in relationship. Like if you're listening to this, pushing to have a conversation with this person closest to you about your definitions of these words or what you think is, I don't know, just reasonable or because I think there's a lot of assumptions when you don't have those conversations, right? Some of those questions we haven't asked each other, so this will be interesting. Follow oh, we're gonna up tonight. We're going to have some good talks yeah. tonight. Uh, I, I read in your book this quote that I think is a great follow-up to that conversation. You say, human beings are happiest and healthiest when we occupy a shade of gray between rigidity and chaos. That was a very, I'm like, man, I don't know. How, I don't even, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about Explain this. Explain that. Yeah. Talk to us, Talk about, to that. us about that. <laughs> oh, um, Jeff, you're pulling a quote from um, the Taking Sexy Back book, yep. which is basically a journey 
into sexual self-awareness, you know, to, to, it is, it is written really for those who've been socialized in the feminine. So women or vulva bodied people who've been socialized in the feminine and have taken in this whole flurry of messages around who you're supposed to be and who you're not supposed to be and who gets to be sexy and who doesn't get to be sexy. And what does that word mean to you? And so this idea of this idea is, is pulled from one of my favorite teachers, Dr. Dan Siegel, who is a, a neuropsychologist. He brings together sort of Buddhist practices and psychology. He has beautiful work. And he talks about like health, you know, health is integration. Health is shades of gray. If you, he had this like aha moment, he went to the diagnostic manual of mental health disorders, the DSM, and he opened it up to a bunch of random pages. And every disorder in that book is either a disorder of rigidity or a disorder of chaos. So think about depression. Depression is a disorder of rigidity. It's a flatness. Mm-hmm. Think about bulimia. Bulimia is a disorder of chaos. It's binging. It's purging. Bipolar disorder is a disorder of chaos. There's highs, there's lows. Um, anorexia is a disorder of rigidity, right? It is restriction and rules and, and boundaries. Mm-hmm. We are healthiest when we're somewhere in a shade of gray between those. Mm-hmm. And I think our sexual selves also crave a shade of gray between rigidity, which is, you know, only on Saturday night at 8 p.m., missionary style, in the dark, the same way, the same time, always, 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 or not not until marriage and only this and only if and only, only, only. And our sexual selves also don't, don't do well with chaos, right? Which is sort of no boundaries, drunken hookups, lack of care for self, lack of tuning into self, lack of attunement to a partner. Sexual chaos is no good for anybody either. And so that part of the book was about inviting people to hold that both and space of having a sense of where your boundaries are. And then within those boundaries, being able to be playful, spontaneous, emotive, Mm -hmm. joyful, right? So that's, so that's where that, that's what that idea is all about. It's an invitation, an invitation to kind of figure out where are you at risk of going. And, and, you know, we're talking about couples, right? And I think very often couples get lost in, you know, the relationship can become really rigid or really chaotic around sex. And the conversation can become really rigid or really chaotic. And that's oftentimes when people just stop talking about it because it just feels either out of control or we're saying the same thing again and again, and we aren't getting anywhere, you know? So how do you start talking about it again? I mean, I know that I, like you said earlier, maybe go see a therapist, maybe, you know, like those are great recommendations and we constantly talk about that. But let's say someone doesn't have the finances right now to focus on that. Maybe, I don't know, there's a lot of reasons why, there's a lot of fears to go to that first session. I I had a lot of fears the first time we we, we did. I I was freaking out. Anyway. You know I want to hear that story. (laughs) Yeah, like how do you stay? Yeah, how, what are some good questions or to stay in that healthy gray that you're talking about? Uh, okay, then we should talk about first couples therapy sessions because as as a couples therapist who has been to couples therapy, right, there's like few things more terrifying than a first couples therapy yeah, session. There like is. No from being on, having been on both sides of the room many times. Yeah, so, okay, so the conversation, here's what I would say about the conversation. It must be predicated on the idea that every single sexual problem is a couple problem every single one of them. An erectile challenge. Okay. The erection technically lives on one person's body, but it is a relationship challenge, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's his, he has a whole set of feelings and meanings and stories about what is or isn't happening with his erection and his partner does too. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so, and so the conversation has to be an incredibly generous take on what are we to do Mm -hmm in the face of this challenge that is in your body, but is for us. Mm. Her libido post babies is like, she can't even find it. She's looked, she's looked everywhere. She's looked (laughs) under the bed. She's looked in the closet. It's nowhere. (laughs) Libido. Hello. Where are you? It cannot be found. Yeah. The loss of libido. She's lost her libido, but it's Mm. for the couple to be profoundly empathic and curious and sad together 
concerned together, but that's a whole different entry point into the conversation than what happened to you after those babies. Right. A blame game or... Why can't you get hard with me? Mm-hmm. Or why do you come so soon? If we start with that finger pointing, right? Blame and shame are deadly for intimacy. So if I'm ashamed of my low libido, if I'm ashamed of my erection, there is no way in hell I'm going to be able to talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. And if and if I'm blaming you for your low libido, if I'm blaming you for your erection challenges, there's we're not going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's the framework that I want to offer couples for how to have these conversations. Yeah, I, I love that. I think it's it's both uh, like a it's like a problem solving together, right? Where you're taking this issue and you're putting it up on the whiteboard and you're both looking at it, and it doesn't become, you know, me versus you. It becomes here's the issue. Now, how are we both going to look at that issue and work together and find a way to work through this in that way? Yes. I love it. I love, I love me. I love even the image of the whiteboarding, right? Because yeah. for whiteboarding, we are We're invested curious. in a process yeah. with no, no idea what the outcome is going to be, no judgment. which is yeah. so freaking hard to do. Yeah. Right. And yeah. oftentimes we know the outcome, like we want more sex or we want to feel less pressure. Like we know, but, but surrendering the idea that there has to be any kind of outcome and just embarking on a process together is it's beautiful. Like that's intimacy right there. Can you talk about sexual pedals? That's another concept that you talked about in the book that I think is kind of interesting. Could you t- could you explain that concept? Yeah, The Accelerator and the Break. Yes. It's a really much loved, much treasured book by Emily Nagoski called Come As You Are. And it's so good. Um, so good. Really, yeah, just a really important book. And so she presents this idea. The fancy word for it is the dual control model. So what sexuality researchers have learned is that inside each of us, right, inside of each of us, is this dual control model, which is a set of accelerators and brakes, things that either spark our sexual desire and our interest and our willingness to be sexual, or things that block, compromise, and cut us off from our sexual desire, our libido. And it's sort of a menu, right? It's, it's some things like stress. So the thing is stress. For some people, stress is an accelerator. It's like, get me the hell out of reality and like, give me an orgasm. <laughs> and for other people, stress is like a massive brake pusher. It's like I, the, the head of the Kinsey Institute recently said, um, two antelopes won't have sex in front of a lion. <laughs> Threatened your libido is gone because there needs to be a sense of relaxation to have sex. So stress can go either way. Body image very frequently is a brake presser, but it's really, it's really subtle things. Some, for some people having laptops in the bedroom, right. Presses the accelerator having one of the things in, in my own marriage is, you know, every month my husband comes to me with a visa bill, right? Like I need to take a look at the credit <laughs> card bill and, you know, verify the statements. But if we've got, if, if we both know that sex is somewhere in the atmosphere, maybe going to happen tonight, like, this guy's got a better real not come. <laughs> fork in the road. Like, <laughs> what do you want? Would you like to feel involved? Would you like to make love? <laughs> 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 both happen. <laughs> so it seems also that that would be another good kind of conversation piece to have with your partner right? Of like those types of things that really do block or, you know, excite in those ways, right? Absolutely. Because what it does, Andre, is it neutralizes it, right? We are different in that way. He could do, he could square the bill up, put it away and transition very quickly. Like he can switch hats like Mm -hmm. that. There's no like crossover. There's no, right. And, and that's not how my body, like it's not, and it's nothing wrong with me and something wrong with him. Right. So let's just say, hypothetically speaking, you were oh lordy on Zoom with a couple, <laughs> and they were asking they were asking all these questions of you, and and honestly, they have a very healthy sex life, and um, but they're always looking to get better, right? Like spark it up, keep things interesting, right? Yes. And you and you were like, yeah, this is this is good. These are good questions because there's maybe there's listeners. That's the case. Maybe that's us. I don't know. <laughs> what would you say to us to to encourage us like on this journey to keep? Because like you said, we've been married for eighteen years, but we want to keep things interesting. What what advice would you give to us? 
That's great. I think that I actually think that conversations like this are really helpful. Like I love the idea of a couple, you know, whatever, heading out for a walk and putting their head, you know, putting a pair of AirPods in and like listening to this conversation together, you know, watching a TV show together, listening, reading a book together, taking an e-course together. Like whenever you put, you know how we were saying before that introducing another person into a conversation changes the conversation. I think also introducing any kind of novel element changes the conversation because someone's going to listen to our conversation and it's going to spark a thought. It's going to spark a question. And so that, so for a couple to take in new content or experience something together, that opens up really interesting conversations about what did you hear when Jeff said that, you know, what did you hear when Alexander said that, you know, like that's having that like point of reference to kind of vibe off of is really helpful. Um, Because again, I think that there, you know, there's been millions and millions of dollars people have made over the years by selling, you know, kind of clever, like books, tips, tricks, like sort of things that are like, do this to have a good sex life, do this, have a good sex life. And that it may be that like having whatever, you know, a book of 300 different exercises might be really fun. Like that might be fun. You go into the book, you pick something to do and you do it. That might be great. But it's, but the thing that keeps our sex life interesting is just staying curious about ourselves and each other, right? And that, if we're, if we're curious and present, then we never make the same love twice, you know, because we're bringing, because we're bringing just a sense of like, I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know how you're going to respond. I don't know how I'm going to respond. So that's really the heart of it. But I certainly love the idea of couples, you know, having, there's so many, there's, you know, apps out, there are apps out there where there's one called Kindu, K-I-N-D-U, where you, each person has it on their phone and you swipe left on things that you aren't interested in trying. You know, it's things about different fantasies and different positions and different ways of spicing it up. And you swipe right on things that you are interested in. And then the app, you know, gives each person like a menu of what you had in common. So that's sweet. That's that's lovely. Yeah. And in some ways you don't even need that because if you are, if you each feel like you have permission to engage your imagination and to just kind of pay attention to what you're curious about, we, you know, our imaginations are really big and wide and and can provide us plenty of interesting stuff on their own. Yeah. In a conversation, as long as that is like an open and safe place to easily have that discussion, right? I mean, ultimately, that's what you're saying is that there has to be an open and safe space that anything is on the table to discuss between you for that curiosity to be able to unfold and move forward, right? Yep. Yep. I mean, that's hard. It's hard to create a safe place because of previous baggage, because of, you you know, you put something out there and they didn't respond the way that you wanted because of, what I mean, all these things start to layer itself on and then the conversation ends. And I think that's, it's hard to reopen that conversation again at times. I think you're totally right. Because the moment I say, I want this, you, my partner's at risk of hearing, I'm less than satisfied. Right. There's two ways you could, you know, like if I declare that I want something, my partner can be like, sweet. All right. How might we make that happen? Or let me think about whether I also want that. That's one path that could go. But the other path that can go is if you're saying you want something, it means you're sad you don't have it or you're disappointed you don't have it or you're craving more. And what you're saying then is I'm not enough and I'm afraid nothing's going to be enough, right? So it can, that declaration of saying I want something is risky. Mm. And um, there's no guarantee that our partner is going to meet our declaration of what we want in the way that we want them to meet it, right? Mm. So I hear you, Jeff, that there's like for sure a risk and lots of layers that are present at the same time. Mm. That's good. And in a sense, I mean, you and you talk a lot about just agency and that kind of owning, like, I mean, I mean, that's part of your course. What would you recommend to women in that sense or in men? I'm, it's both ways. I, I guess I just always view it from a woman perspective. But what would you recommend in those ways as we're, as you're trying to navigate this kind of sexual identity and what you want and what you like, but then, you know, being cautious and careful and not wanting to hurt your partner as well? 
Yeah, I'm curious, Andre, how this works for you. But um, what I find, what I find really often is women who have male partners. I mean, and you don't have to. I mean, whatever. Take this wherever you want to take it. Um, Like women who have male partners who really want to be like good lovers and who want to be attentive and really focused on her pleasure and her orgasm. And he's coming from a place of like deep authenticity and deep curiosity, but then he's asking questions and she's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because it's really confronting, right? It's really confronting to be asked what would make you feel good. If you've been told since you were, you know, yay, hi, that you don't touch that part of your body and that part of your body is dirty. And God says this, and you know, your parents say this. And Mm so, so there are like the research is just so heartbreaking around how little any of us, even, even women who are the owners of the vulva and who are owners of the clitoris don't even understand really how our own bodies work. We don't, we don't feel because we haven't been given permission to be exploratory, to have agency, as, Mm -hmm. as you were saying, to feel like, um, to, to feel able to claim that. And I, I've learned so much from my college students. Like I have a lot of college students now who were raised by really sex positive parents, you know, mm-hmm. who, mm-hmm. who were telling their daughters from an early age, like you deserve sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. You need to understand, you need to be masturbating. You need to understand how your body works and teaching their young men. Like, listen, if you're hooking up with a young woman you're going to be fine. The chances are that you're going to be really fine and you're going to feel good, but your job is to ensure that you are caring for her and attending to her. Like the kids who grow up in those kinds of families are like leaps and bounds ahead of certainly where I was Mm -hmm. um, and where so many people are, where the only conversation about sex is don't think about it. Don't look at it. Don't talk about it. It's dirty. It's bad. That part of your body is dirty and bad because then we're like excavating all of that to even get to a place of neutrality about our own bodies, much less positivity about our own bodies. Yeah, I, th- I mean, the question, what do you want, is a question that oftentimes is hard for people to answer, right? Uh, yeah. And that's, I mean, I think yeah. that's the, is that fair to yes. say? Yeah. And even when it's asked with true curiosity, it can feel like pressure. Oh, oh yes, wow. for sure. Yes. Pressure, especially if you don't know. And then pressure if you've even just never been asked before, you know, like if you've never really like been asked that question, you're like, oh, okay, I got to figure this out somehow. Yep. And one of the gifts about being a couples therapist is I get to go into the, you know, most inner parts of people's marriages. And I've heard the most beautiful stories about couples where in the effort to move through this, he says, I am going to hold a space of like neutrality. You come to me in the ways you want and you show me like I just reversing the whole polarity, right? Reversing the whole energy that has been in this relationship in order to give her the space that she may need to do things like masturbate for the first time, right? Like he might be like, sweet. I'm right here. Like I I will cheer you on. I'm so ready. And she may be like, I no, I need you to be like literally like two and a half miles away. Yeah. (laughs) I can't do this. this. Yeah. Right. Right. And it, and, and can he hear that not as a rejection, but as her work to heal herself in the service of the relationship, what helps is if he gets, you know, pissed off and heartbroken as well about all the ways in which patriarchy, misogyny, all of that has deprived both of them of what they have needed and wanted. It's so much bigger and older than these two particular people. In your work, when a couple has, oh man, gotten to that place where it's just, there's just so much frustration on both sides, specifically related to sex. Is it possible? Like how often do you see that they can get out of that? Like, can they, is like, are there times you're like, there is hope, like, because you've seen it or, or do you think that oftentimes it gets to a point where you just can't go backwards? I think that it all centers on motivation, like, and, and, and why do I want to do this work? 
it has to be, if, if we stay with this idea of like sort of a desire discrepancy, um, where one person is, you know, is feeling shut down and the other person is like sick of knocking on the door, how badly does the person who's knocking on the door, are they, how willing are they to stop knocking for a while? And the person who's behind the door, how willing are they to do their work for their own well-being, for their own sexual like reclamation versus I'll do it in order to get you off my back? That's not particularly sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if the lower desire partner's only motivation to try this is to get their partner off their back, it's not going to be particularly sustainable. What I want is for that healing reclamation work to be because I deserve to live in my body in a way that is pleasure filled, in a way that is permission giving, and that reclaiming my sexual wholeness is about me deserving to be connected to this source of like vitality, you know, creativity, intimacy, connection, because I deserve it, not because I want my partner to stop complaining. Right. It has to be more than that. You're talking a lot about this this space. We talk about this a lot. There's there's a space between us. And either yeah, we an energy. Yeah, like an energy, a space, a and either we're both in some way moving towards one another in our choices, <laughs> oftentimes. Or one has turned our back and the, and we're trying to catch up and like, hey, what about me over here? That space is always this like it's a constant, like you have to take note of it in some way. You're right. Yes. It's a thing unto itself. And it, it doesn't, the space between you guys, the space between any, between any two partners doesn't exist on its own, right? It has to be cultivated and curated by both partners in an ongoing way over time. Yeah. So if you had, I mean, listeners right now, like you have an opportunity to encourage them in their relationship in some way. Um, I mean, being sitting with couples all the time. I'm sure, I'm sure there's some days you walk out going, that was a rough day. And other days you're like, I have so much hope. You know, you have listeners right now and you want to encourage them in their relationship, specifically related to their sexual relationship. What, what would you say to them right now? I think what I would say is I don't believe that anybody's sexuality is, you know, broken or beyond repair. So I just believe so I believe so much in like the ability to heal sexually and the healing power of sex, right? So it goes, I think it's, you know, it's both things. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that any work that a couple does around supporting like safety and sexual connection pays dividends outside the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I think that the work couples do outside the bedroom pays dividends in the bedroom, right? So the arrow goes, like the arrow goes in both directions. Mm -hmm. And just, just that, that our, that, that what's so, what's really beautiful is that each of us is evolving around our sexuality, right? So who we are sexually at age 22 is different than 42 is different than 62. So we're, each person is a moving target and that makes the work hard because, because we can't say things like, yeah, but it didn't used to be like this for you. Cause the answer to that question is like, yeah, duh. Cause I wasn't then who I am now. So it makes it challenging that way, but it makes it hopeful in that way, right? Because if we're, if we're continuing to evolve, then that means that there's always possibility. There's always possibility for change. So it's like both a challenge that we can never truly figure ourselves or the other person out, but it's also an opportunity mm-hmm. because we get to keep trying to figure ourselves and each other out. Yeah. That curiosity then gets to stay in place for sure when you're constantly changing. What is something you're just thinking about and that's on your brain that you're just like pondering over these days? I threw it out to you. I just threw a, just a lob ball at you way, way from you weren't ready for this one. <laughs> no, it's okay. I want to hear, will you tell me what's on your brains too? Oh. Yeah. I mean, right now it's a lot about sex, I guess, <laughs> in, the, in this moment, in this moment. <laughs> I, 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 there's this quote that I've been just constantly pondering over, which is a lot of what kind of relates to this conversation even, but it's this, um, uh, the author Sue Monk kid, she said a more authentic I leads to a deeper we. Oh, and 
I've just been, it's just been on my brain a lot. been thinking about it a lot and just how that kind of even, you know, we've been talking a lot about sex today. That even goes, you know, with that sexual identity piece that you were saying and that agency, right? Like the more authentic that way that I know myself and my sexual being and who I am, then that will lead to a deeper connection with my partner. And so I think that relates in this way, but also in a hundred million other ways. But that's what I'm thinking about. I love that. I love that. It, you know, it reminds me of, I have an upcoming webinar that's called Loving You Without Losing Me. Yes. And I have been really struck by how much response there has been to, because people don't really have much beyond that title. Yeah. And it's also free. But I think there's something really, really compelling about this, about, you know, which which is the Sue Monk Kid quote you just Mm -hmm. shared, which is, so I've been thinking a lot about how we do, I, w- I want to validate that we do in some ways lose ourselves in our relationship because yeah. in a relationship, you know, as, as Jeff was like talking about the space between, like we're, we are changed by the space between ourselves and our partner that changes us. So there right. is a way to get married, to fall in love, to commit, to build a life, to have children with somebody. You do lose aspects of yourself or you, but the, but the work is to discover expanded experiences of yourself, right? Rather than like, I think this idea of losing Mm -hmm. implies like a shrinking or a becoming less. Mm -hmm. But, but I do think there are ways that we do lose ourselves in relationship because we are becoming something that's bigger than just an individual. We're becoming a we. Yeah. So that's been on my mind a lot, sort of how to both, how to validate Mm -hmm. that, that sense of like, I am losing myself. Like that's a real feeling. It makes sense that that um, you and how to do that in ways like what are the ways in which losing ourselves is healthy and what are the ways losing ourselves can be unhealthy like how do we balance the beauty of it with the risk of it yeah that's really good I gave a short answer earlier which I, I kind of like I'm second guessing it was just kind of joking earlier but I, that was really good I, I think I've been thinking about and it started started with my own uh, personal kind of I was thinking about this related to the work I do and stuff like that about the expectations I bring into my work versus um, and how I'm let down every time I have expectations. And then replacing that with the intentionality of um, my pursuit or what are my intentions for that day. And, and I think I'm, I'm thinking more about that in relation to my children. Like, and what are my expectations of my kids or what is my intention for them? So like replacing whatever set goal I have with, um, a pursuit of them in some way. Um, and I think I I, I was thinking a lot about that, even in this conversation to like pursuing Andre, like, I mean, it's very easy for me to go, well, I want it. I want this tonight, right? Uh, This is, this is what I want from, from you tonight. And at the end of the night, I will probably come out good in this scenario, but Andre was not fulfilled. You know, and and so I think what are my intentions of of loving her and serving her and caring for her and thinking about her and and listening to her. So I think that I I don't know. I think that premise for me is is playing out in a lot of aspects of life right now. I love that expectation versus intention. It feels really similar to what we were saying before about like engaging in a process while letting go of the outcome. Yeah, which is really hard to do. That's a right. a kind of surrender in a kind of loss of control or letting go of control. It's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's beautiful. It is something we need in work and parenting and in relationship. I get that. Yeah. And it's not easy. It's simple and not easy. Yes. There's, <laughs> not, there's the that is not the that. way that I normally think. I'm working on it. I'm <laughs> yeah, a no, long way. No. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And now it's time for the breakdown. No one wants to listen to the breakdown after that. I know. We just want to keep listening to her. Oh, my goodness. We don't want to listen to us. No, she turned the table on us. I feel like, you know, she's just a pro. I mean, she just. Well, she's a therapist. She yeah. makes other people talk. <laughs> That's her job every day. Yeah. What'd you think? Wow. There's a whole lot. There's a whole lot in there. Where do you want to start? 
one of my favorite, favorite parts was when she talked about the side effect of side effect of monogamy is sexual boredom. Oh yeah, that was very. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, that's not what you were gonna say. Oh, my yeah. bad. You go first. <laughs> You go first. <laughs> I mean, after 18 years of marriage. I mean, marriage, you're taking the lead on this one. Go for it. After 18 years of marriage, I definitely understand that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, babe. No. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate our sex life right now? That's already been done. I know, but it changes. It does change. Listen, honey, we're not talking about us. We are talking about. It. That's a That's a good point, though, because that literally she is saying, talk about it. Because that is a consequence and a risk of monogamy. Therefore, it should be something you talk about, which is really good. I think it's really interesting. I think most people, unfortunately, don't have the freedom in their relationship to talk about the things that they want, desire, fantasize about, or dream about, or say whatever you want about it. They don't feel safe. Yes. The reality of conversations around sex is that most people don't feel safe with the person that is supposed to be the closest to you because they've been hurt so many times times. Yeah. Yeah. And I think her advice is perfect. Start talking about these things, Mm -hmm. but it has to be kind of a unified conversation. It has to be conversations that bring each other together. And if it's not, we highly, highly, highly recommend going to see someone, like she said, with a a third person to be in that conversation, Mm -hmm. a process with you, the conversation will change. Yeah, I love her like rigidity, rigidity and chaos kind of like part where she was saying about health, like true health is the integration of both of those. It's that gray, like in between of rigidity and chaos. Um, I really, really like that. Yeah, it's kind of like 50 shades of. (laughs) Stop it. Just kidding. But it just it brings freedom, but within boundaries, right? It's like. It's it's children in the yard. Like there's the fence around the yard yeah. that has the boundary so they don't run in the street. But then there's like, let's do all the fun and all the play in the yard. Right. Yeah. And I think that's just like a it's a beautiful kind of concept to continue to imagine with your partner. Yeah. I mean, her follow up to that was that every sexual problem is a couple's problem. Yeah, that was really good. It's hard. I mean, it, it's so easy you don't to want point to, fingers. Yeah, you don't want to say that when things are not going great. But it is, it, it's true. Yeah. Which yeah. is why it would be so helpful for both to just have a third person so to help remind you that yes. it is both your issues together. Yes. yes. Um, because if it's within us, it's so easy just to point and to blame and to you know, look at the other person. She said early on in the conversation that really stuck with me. One person being vulnerable can be contagious. Yeah. What a beautiful thought. Like that's it. That's a, it's like one of those statements you should put in the mirror and look in the morning and going, am I being vulnerable in this relationship? Yeah. I feel like I, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not trying to toot my horn, but I feel like we had a date night this week and which we hadn't had in a little while because of a lot of reasons for our family. We just couldn't make it happen. And I walked into the date and I thought to myself, my intention tonight is to be vulnerable with Andre about something I've been wrestling with. And I shared some really personal things with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was just on Wednesday night. And yeah, I think that, I think it happened. It was one of the best conversations we've had in a month, probably realistically. Yeah. I mean, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. Hmm. So if you're willing to be the first to open your heart and your soul to somebody else, whether that's a friend that maybe you just need help and advice and somebody to talk to you or your partner specifically about an issue or something that you're struggling with, it only leads to more vulnerability within the other person as well. So, yeah. And I love her hope in sex. Like I think she says, you know, no matter what you think you might be broken, you're not broken. Like, this can change. This stuff can change. And, um, and wherever you're listening right now, I'm sure this is a hard conversation with a person that you love potentially there there's hope in this for you today. Yeah. And we are all evolving and changing. And so there's hope in even staying curious with your partner about who they are becoming and what they're becoming and, and how they're, uh, how the sex life is changing and all the different phases of life that we all go through. 
Um, I love that, you know, like our 22 year old self is not. Definitely not the same. (laughs) It's not the same as where we are now, which is good. It's good. But then it's also challenging, you know, and um, but it's a beautiful thing to keep exploring together. Well, and and in the interest of exploration, <laughs> February 9th, the two of yes. you, you and your partner can explore one another in all the ways. Just yeah. Like Did that sound after, weird. Did that sound a little yeah, awkward. after. I mean, even whatever. I mean, you're there by yourself. Do what you got to do. <laughs> Don't have your camera on. <laughs> <laughs> but we do February 9th have our date night. We want to meet you, see you. Join us. Join us. Yeah. Uh, be a part of this with us. And we hope it's a lot of fun. It and will we hope be fun. it's encouraging. And that is next week. So hit us up. And I'm just going to close this out since I'm the host of this podcast. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. This has been another great episode of Love, Love or Work. work. This episode was recorded by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.